can't remember the day, but I do remember the year when the reality of death really got a grip on my heart. It wasn't a massive revelation, instantaneous, but I think like most people, the reality of my death comes on us kind of over time. The older we get, the more death we see. The more experiences we have on this earth, the more tragedy, disaster, and heartbreak. And then we begin to lose people that are close to us. People that we know, people that we love. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, then parents. Old schoolmates, car wrecks, catastrophes, illness, you hear about their death and the reality slowly begins to sink in that one day people are going to be gathering in a place like this and I'm going to be at the front. I was 37 years old. I'm not sure why I remember that, but I was 37 years old when this reality began to bore a hole into my brain. There were reasons for this. Uh, It was that year that we had a house fire. Lost everything. Uh, All our possessions in the house, gone. And that tends to kind of wake you up. At 37, I started having gray hairs on my head. I knew that 40 was imminent, and for some reason, 40 was like downhill from there to me. And uh, so, again, at, at 37, this reality began to sink in, that it's not just you doing funerals for other people, but one day somebody's going to be doing a funeral for you. But in all honesty, the more I thought about my death, in truth, the more excited I became. Because the more I thought about my temporary state on this earth, the more I realized the eternity I will have in heaven in the kingdom of God. And that realization brought me joy. It really did. It has. It brought me great comfort. It took away all of my fear and my doubt. Why? Why would my death on this earth bring so much comfort and strength to me? It's because I know what's on the other side. And the truth is, folks, one day, either while I'm here or gone, you're going to read or hear that Johnny Funderburg is dead. And I don't want you to spend one second in the negative. Because when you hear I'm gone... 
I will be more alive than I've ever been before. I am so grateful that I can live my life without the fear of death. The song that our praise team just sang, uh, No Guilt on Earth, No Fear in Death. The fear is gone. In fact, my family gets tired of me talking about my, my death and eternity. They, I, I just don't talk about it around them anymore because they have gotten on to me so many times. But I, I will say this, and I hope it doesn't sound strange or weird, but I, I welcome my death. I do. Because struggles in this life, gone. Temptations, pressures, heartaches, gone in the kingdom of God. Of course, I will miss my family and things of that nature, of course. But we are talking about such a temporary time here in light of eternity. So, in this series of questions our culture is asking. In 2021, in the midst of all the circumstances and experiences that are in this world right now, our culture is asking, is there really something more to this life than what we know? They're asking the question, is this all there is. What we experience here, what we go through in this time, is that all that there is? At some point in their lives, as well as in ours, the realization will begin to dawn on them. They will have a conscious awareness of the reality that they will not be the exception to death. Whether it happens today, 10 years, 30 years, or more down the line, I will not be the exception to death. That experience will come to me. And as the culture moves forward in life and experiences, the reality of their end begins to dawn on them. The typical John and Jane Doe of our culture, they're young, passionate, full of ideas, Generally, politically left, economically strapped, and resentful, victimized, angry. But no matter what they do in this life, 
No matter how hard they try, no matter how much money they make, or how many of the world's collections that they can grab in this life, it doesn't matter because they will not escape death. And when they begin to understand that, and when that reality sets into them, they have four options. I don't know of any other options that they have. They have four options to believe in. Two of these options are secular. One of the options is pseudo-Christian, false Christian. And then the fourth option is, of course, the biblical revelation. The first two options that the typical uh, person in our culture, when they when they come to grips with their own uh, uh, death in this life, they will have these options. The first two are totally secular. I divided them up this way, and these, these are my terms, so don't go looking for them. Uh, the secular philosophy is, number one, annihilation. Annihilation means that you simply cease to exist. When you die, it's done. When the body dies, done. No more. The second option in the secular genre is that of alteration. Annihilation, you're totally gone. Alteration means when you die, you change or you modify, the word means to amend, it. you change from a physical state into a spiritual state where you kind of wander in darkness. That's what's behind the ghost craze of today. Which, by the way, are demons. But annihilation or alteration that you, you then become this kind of ghostly-like presence. The fake Christian, false Christian, pseudo-Christian option is called soul sleep. And I call it a pseudo-Christian because there are a number of churches, denominations, theologies that teach what's called soul sleep. Soul sleep is a misunderstanding of certain texts in the Scripture. But the belief is that when we die, we simply go to sleep. It's like a sleep state. And, and soul, spirit, in dead body remain in that sleep state until Jesus returns and then calls forward the body, and the soul. Now, for people like me who don't like sleeping, that doesn't sound like a really good option to me. Those of you who love sleep, don't get too excited because it ain't going to happen like that. <laughs> Annihilation, totally gone. Alteration, you change into the spirit form. Soul sleep, you stay in the grave until Jesus returns and calls you forth. And then there's the <clears throat> biblical option. 
the biblical revelation of eternal abode. The Bible teaches that when the body dies, we don't cease to exist. We're not altered into some kind of a ghost state to wander in utter nothingness. Nor will we sleep in the grave until the end of days. Instead, when my body dies, your body dies, when a believer dies, they enter into the first heaven where there is joy, peace, and comfort awaiting the end of days. For the non-believer, they enter into, we'll call it a first hell, we'll call it a holding place, and we'll talk more about this uh, when we talk about hell itself. But the Bible refers to it, the Old Testament calls it Sheol. The New Testament calls it Hades. It's this holding place. It's like the first element of hell. And there is torment there. It is hell. But then at the end of time, at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says that Hades will be taken and be judged into the eternal lake of fire. Surprisingly today, or at least I found it somewhat surprising, surprising in one way, not surprising in another, but there are more people today, many more people today, who believe and adopt the concept of heaven and far less adopt the reality of God. Now, I wasn't surprised that there were many more people who believed in heaven than hell, but how do you believe in heaven and not believe in God? The latest stats I could find <clears throat> addressing this issue was a, was a 2014 Pew Research uh, collection. And in this, uh, in this data, there were these things of note. Belief in heaven was 80 to 90 percent. 80 to 90 percent of people all across every spectrum, Christians, non-Christians, atheists, agnostics across every section, 80 to 90 percent of that group of the whole United States believes in heaven. We'll say eight and a half people out of ten believe in heaven. 60 percent believe in hell. About 65% believe in God. 5% of atheists, 5% of atheists believe in heaven. 14% of agnostics believe in heaven. And among the people who claim they have no religion or no spiritual belief system, 50%, half of those people believe in heaven. Now, why? What, what, what is this mindset on heaven? Well, here's the thing. Again, as our culture embraces its own frailty, its own 
certain personal death. They are just hoping like heck that there's something on the other side. It's more of an emotional buffer against their death. I just hope that there is something on the other side. So then how can we, as the church, help our culture to come to grips with this absolute reality in this life? You can, you can distance yourself from your death emotionally and mentally, for as long as it will stay there, but eventually it's going to creep up and grab hold of your feet. How can we help our culture and move them from a pipe dream into a sure reality? How can we move them from a hope-so salvation or a hope-so heaven into a no-so heaven? I think we have to start at Hebrews 9.27. So please turn there with me. Hebrews 9.27. And the scripture says this. As it is appointed for men or mankind to die once. But after this, the judgment. There are two terms in this passage that are important for us to, to grab hold of and understand. The first term is the word appointed. Second term, the word judgment. But first, the word appointed, that there is an appointed death for mankind. The word appointed is made up of two Greek words. The primary word, now, now follow me close, the primary word means to lay something down. The idea is that I've picked something up and now I am laying it down. The secondary word means away or away from. The idea is to take something pick something up and move it away from where it was and then set it down and that is the description of your yours and my appointment with death this is what god did i'm simply describing what is in the scripture here's what god did at some point in time in the past, God picked up our life, probably at our birthday. He picked up our life at our birth, and he moved it away from our birth, however far away, and he set it back down to declare the end of that life. You have an appointment. I have an appointment. God has already picked up our life and set it down. There is for you, for me, for all, an appointment 
with death. The second, well, let me share this with you. This is a, uh, an illustration that <coughs> I uh, came across. There <coughs> was a guy, a man, who went out one evening to walk his dog. And in doing so, he passed someone that he thought was the angel of death. It scared him terribly. He went to a friend and said, I am convinced that I saw death today. And when I saw him, our eyes met, and he had this look of surprise on his face, but it terrified me. And his friend said, if I were you, I would get the heck out of here. I would get as far away from here as I could if you saw death in the eye. And so he did. <clears throat> Jumped in his car, and he drove all night long. Finally, when the morning dawn began to appear, and he was tired and hungry, he found some little cafe uh, miles away from nowhere, a little bitty, little bitty town, and he pulled over to that cafe. And he walked in, and he sat down, and he began to look at the menu when someone sat himself across the table from the man. And when the man looked up, he saw death. And the death angel said to this man, Excuse me, but I've come for you today, and you must go with me. The man screamed, Why? I just saw you yesterday near my home. And death said, That's right. That's why I was startled when you passed me. For my instructions were to meet you this morning in this cafe. It is appointed unto all of mankind the certainty of death. The second word is separation. I'm sorry, second word is judgment. Judgment, which means separation. First comes death, then comes judgment. A separation of the wheat from the tares, of the sheep from the goats, of the saved from the unsaved. But let me warn you, when you talk about judgment to this culture, they will be thinking something completely differently than what you mean. You see, in their mind, judgment goes back to that divine scale. You know, good works versus bad works. And people, you, they may not admit this, but I promise you, in the nighttime, when their mind is given free thought, I promise you, they are thinking about their end. And in their mind, it's this big scale. And so they live their lives with the constant thought, I've got to do more good. I've got to do more good deeds. 
Because in the end, when I die, my good deeds must outweigh my bad deeds. That's what they're thinking. That's what's in their mind. But I tell you, what we mean is found in the very next verse. Hebrews 9.28 What we mean <clears throat> is this. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. You see, the culture, now listen carefully please the culture thinks that the judgment is about them and their works it's about whether or not they did one more good deed than one more bad deed i think i'll get to heaven because i did these things don't you remember god i did these things but in fact the judgment is not about them not yet The judgment is not about what they did or didn't do. The judgment is all about what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, did on Calvary. That's what this judgment is about. And whether or not... You know, we, we tend... I, I was thinking about... We, we tend to think that unbelief, disbelief... It's really not that big a deal. I mean, there are things that we change our beliefs about certain things. But I'm telling you, to the Father, unbelief about what he did through his son, unbelief is a big deal. It is a big deal to the Father. And the unbelieving will be judged. It's not about them. It's about what Jesus has already done. So, what can we as the church say to this culture? This culture who is asking, is this all there is? Or is there something beyond this life? We can say three things. Number one, your death is, in, is inevitable. The scripture teaches that God picked up your life, walked away whatever distance, and set down the end of days for you. Your death is inevitable. Secondly, that there is hope. That there is hope beyond the grave. There is hope after death. There is hope that is offered to you. And then thirdly, there will be judgment. Either you will allow the Lamb of God to take away your sins or you will be charged with every sinful thought 
and deed you've ever committed and good works will be of no consequence to you and to God in that day. I've asked John to do my conclusion for me as he sings this song. Listen to the words and realize. Realize what God has given us right now, this hope. Thank you. 
has been arrested. Your death has been taken into custody by the ultimate judge. Live free without this fear of death because we step into ultimate joy.